Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. This is exciting. You know what we do on Intentional Conversations podcast. We take a moment to officially and formally introduce our guest co-hosts by sharing their accolades, credentials, experience, and the way they show up to this work. And then I will invite our guest to unmute and greet you in her own way. Today's guest is Andrea Tatum. Andrea is a friend of NWC. And I want to take a moment just to read a little bit about her bio, and then I want to invite Andrea to introduce herself in her own way to you. Throughout her career, Andrea has been focused on helping companies create inclusive cultures where everyone belongs. I love this already, Andrea. Okay, I'm so excited. Andrea's passion and advocacy for diversity and inclusion was ignited early in her career as a nonprofit arts marketer. She was named one of Rolling Out Magazine's most influential women in Atlanta for her initiatives around cultivating diverse audiences. And after 10 years in the arts, she pivoted to tech, where she grew her career as a product marketer, certified project manager, and international event planner. You know, we're going to talk about that. At Tableau Software, she oversaw a portfolio of the company's product launches and customer events and was the team lead for DNI at their annual 20,000-person user conference. Andrea then became Tableau's Senior Manager of Inclusion, where she scaled the company's DEI strategies around recruiting, employee resource groups, and training. Then she moved on to Catalyst, where as the Senior Director of Corporate Engagement, she advised more than 40 companies with headquarters in the Western region of the U.S. on their DEI strategies and provided guidance on communications and goal setting and employee resource groups and learning journeys and more. She also co-created and facilitated the edX course, Facing Racism and Emotional Tax in the Workplace. In 2020, she began AGT Diversity Consulting and DEI Career Prep, and it's now known as DEIcareer.com, to focus on cultivating DEI leaders of tomorrow and creating more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces. Clients range from Fortune 500s to startups to arts organizations. Andrea graduated from Middle Tennessee State University with a degree in advertising and public relations and holds a CAPM from the Project Management Institute. Okay, I see vodcast community, you know what to do. Please help me to welcome Andrea in our own way. Blow up the chat. Let her know that you are so glad she is here. Hi, Andrea. I'm so glad to meet you. I'm excited for this chat. I want you to go ahead and welcome the community in your own way. Thank you. My goodness. Um, what a warm and lovely welcome. So thank you for that. Set. Um, thank you to all the people in the chat. And, and I saw a couple of namesakes in there. So thank you for that. Uh, so I'll start by just kind of giving like a, a, a visual description as, as well. So um, I'm a Black woman. I am wearing purple lipstick. My hair is in natural locks. I'm wearing a Black tank top that's kind of lacy. And my background is um, full of 
art and plants and black Barbie dolls. And so that's just a little bit about me. And so I love to give a visual description as well as I know some people may not be tuning in in a way that they can see or may not have the ability to actually see what's what's happening on, on, a, on a vodcast. Um, so a little bit about me. I mean, I feel like you you listed it all, which really makes me realize I'm exhausted at this point. Um, <laughs> I have done a lot of things over the yes, course of my career, but I consider myself a skill builder, a skill mm -hmm. gatherer, and I truly enjoy learning new things. I think that um, that's what life is really all about. Like, what do you learn from everything that you, you have taken in? And so um, I, I, part of who I am is that I am a doll collector. I've been collecting Black Barbie dolls for a significant period of my life and they inspire me and I keep them nearby because I do draw that inspiration from them and I see myself in each of the dolls and so even here beside me I have Maya Angelou I have um Ida B Wells I have Katherine Johnson and I have Rosa Parks and so I I just think that the significance of of these dolls just kind of drives me and I think about like what these women fought for um, in their lives and how does that motivate me? So I appreciate a doll line that creates that kind of space for people like me and to have seen myself at 10, 11 years old as women who were pilots and doctors and teachers um, that, that inspired me a lot. So that's a little bit of who I am. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie. I'm, I'm all these very dorky things as well. But I, at the end of the day, it all comes back to how do I create opportunities for people to learn how to create those more inclusive workspaces um, at, at the end of the day. Wow. 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 That is amazing. And I, I love that, um, you know, be, before uh, going live and, and joining our community, we talked about the, the doll collecting and, and we have that in common. You know, my, my collection is not nearly as extensive <laughs> as yours, not nearly as extensive, but I do remember, you know, getting my first holiday Barbie. She was gorgeous. Her dress was red and she had this, you know, beautiful skin, you know, burnt umber, you know, and, and yeah. her, her hair. I mean, I just, I just can still picture it. And I, and I remember, you know, my friends saying, oh my gosh, take her out of the box. Let's play. And I was like, oh, oh no, no. Don't you dare, we're not, we're not doing that. She will never leave this box. She is pristine and must remain so. Um, so I love that we talked about that at the beginning and, and we have that a little bit in common. You know, one of the other things that I think we have in common, you know, you have talked about being the only, the only, you know, the only, the, mm -hmm. the black student in class, the only black student. And, you know, a lot of times I was, you know, in that position as well. And it, it has an impact. And I'm, I'm sure that it has, you know, had an impact on you. And I'm curious, you know, how did that shape your upbringing? How did that impact you? And how did that, uh, you know, affect your relationship to the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work that you do? Yeah, I think it impacts the way I approach this work now, because I realize that everybody has their own identities, but their relationship with their own identities can be very complex. Mm. Um, and that even within those identities, people are not monolithic. People are, don't approach things the same way. I may not 
think exactly the same as the next person who looks like me. And so for me growing up, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, predominantly white schools, um, you know, for kindergarten through like fourth grade, I was in mostly all white school. I was the only black kid in my kindergarten class. I was the only black kid on my softball team. I was the only black kid swimming competitively at 10, wow. 11 years old. And wow. so it was really, I was always in these predominantly white spaces and it didn't bother me. Um, but it's, it's really interesting that at five years old is when someone also made sure that I recognized that I wasn't like everybody else. And so you know, you're a little kid, you go out to, to play. And um, I think I, I, I can't tell I'm, I'm ambitious and I was ambitious at five and I like to win. I'm very competitive. And so, you know, they ring the bell. The teacher says, let's line up, come back to, you know, time to go back into class. I'm like, I need to be in the front of the line. I like to be in the front. Um, and I had a little white boy come up to me and tell me, you can't be in the front of the line. You're chocolate milk. We're all white milk. Wow. And you need to go not be in the front of the line. Yeah. And like, I couldn't quite comprehend that. And at the time I was still trying to figure out like what he was talking about, but that was his way of understanding race. Right. Um, I also didn't completely understand black versus white. My mother is actually very, very fair skinned herself. Yeah. And so to me, like she was right over there on the side of being white. And my father is very, very dark skinned. So I was like, well, I must be mixed or something. Like it was yeah. a lot to grapple with and understand what race actually is outside of skin tone. Yeah. And I, you know, saw myself as a darker skin child most of my life because I was darker than everybody else. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really complex. And I wanted to have a closer proximity to whiteness and people told me, but at the same time, then by the time I, kind of aged out of that school and then I went into um, a magnet school program so it was more diverse but I was part of meeting quotas to have uh, the school needed to be 60% white and 40% other and so I was a part of that system of busing like so I'm still a part of history in terms of integrating schools and I'm not that old. Um, so yeah. the reality of that history isn't that far away. And that's a lot of times how I approach talking about this work with my clients as we're talking, I'm like, a lot of what you consider historical are things that impacted people who are moving about the world right now. Um, right. School integration and all of these things weren't ancient, ancient past. This is fresh. Yeah. And it's not like when a law gets passed that all of a sudden it's reality. Right, right. It takes time for all of this change to happen. And we're in that moment where we're taking the time to, to continue to evolve. And so, yeah, it definitely um, impacted how I think about work, but it, it also made me realize like I had to be able to switch in and out of these environments very quickly and easily. I went to all black churches. I, mm -hmm. you know, grew up mm -hmm. right next door to a historically black college. I enjoyed, you know, the bands, the dances, the homecomings. I didn't go to a school, but like I had that proximity. So it was really interesting to constantly be shifting in and out of what people may consider my blackness. Yeah, that that agility. It sounds like that has always been within you, you know, it's, it's, it's homegrown and, you know, for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it seems like that's always been within you too. I mean, I can't, 
I cannot even imagine at five years old having all of these thoughts swirling around when someone comes up to you and says something like that. I, I can't imagine, you know, maybe what you took home to your parents and to say, hey, you know, it, you know, the answer to the typical question, how was your day? And then you yeah. come out with all this. I, I, I just can't imagine. It seems like, you know, this has always been within you from, from such a young age. I think that's another thing you and I have in common. Um, how did you decide uh, to, to go into the work of DEIB? You know, when, when was that, you know, light bulb moment for you? Or maybe it was more of a, more of a slow turning on. How did that work for you? Yeah, I think it was a little bit more of like a, um, it exists now. So all of my career, so I was very fortunate. I graduated from college early. Um, I had interned in at a theater in Nashville and that set me over in terms of the hours and things that I needed. So I was able to graduate from early and I immediately went into working at this um, theater in, in Nashville I was hired as a marketing assistant and right away I knew there weren't people who looked like me in that office. There was one black woman um, who was the, the office manager, the secretary, and that was it. But then when I went into the actual like audiences, when I sat down for the shows and things, I also didn't see very many people who looked like me. I was young. It was predominantly white, older, more affluent. And so even right then in my very first job, I was like, how do we get more people who are young and poor who can't afford hundred something dollar ticket to be able to come into the theaters? So what can we do? And so I was right in that age group of folks, this is telling you exactly how old I am, who social media, Facebook, was something only college students had access to. So because I still had a college um, email address, having just graduated, I started doing Facebook kind of advertising. I was doing Uh things on um, Black Planet at the time. I was doing things on MySpace and using social media really pretty early on to talk to a very different audience. Uh Um, And so having that ability, but what made that actually possible is the trust that I was very, like I have been blessed in my career that I had people who saw me as this young 20 something year old and trusted that I knew something um, different and allowed me to try things, to do things that are out of, um, out of maybe what they had normally done. Yeah. And so it was that approach to doing thinking like, how can we just do things differently and open the aperture and say, who is missing? And I've just taken that inside of every single job that I've ever had. Who's missing? Who's Who's not in the conversation? What aren't we seeing? Um, And so even when I was doing product marketing for um, a navigation company, I was like literally sitting in rooms with CEOs and heads of departments for for GM, um, I was traveling the world, going to Japan, going to um, all of the, you know, a lot of time in Germany. It was very easy for us to do our marketing with people who made those folks comfortable. Yeah. Here's another white man who looks like you getting into an expensive car. Right. And I would push and I would push. I'm like, but what about 
a black woman with a family (laughs) also needs navigation in the car and like it was hard and I was always that voice but I believe that that was the role I could play I so I really do believe that I was driven to do this work in some capacity the title came uh-huh. because I was dedicated to doing the work. And so once kind of the field of DNI began to really explode as it did, yeah. I was like, can we pay me to do that? Can we pay me? Um, and I literally wrote a job description. I thought a lot about like what it was that I knew I brought to the table. I didn't believe that I had every single skill when it yeah. came to DNI, but I knew what I could do to uh-huh. make an impact I wrote that down and I handed it to the head of HR and was like you you need this let's yeah. do let's do this um because me doing all the jobs makes no sense so that's kind of how I got into it I love that I love that you had such insight and perspective at such a young age I love that you used that word trust that is imperative and the foundation of so many relationships is is trust, frankly. And, you know, if, if that trust is never established or if it's broken, it's really hard to get it back. And so as you already acknowledged, you know, without that, that trust and, and belief, you may not have been able to be in the rooms where you were to sit at the tables where you were able to sit, to talk with the people that you were able to talk with and to convince them and do that, that, that pushing to, to move the needle in, in that way. So you found your lane through the lens of, you know, communications and, and marketing, and even some of those early experiences that, that, you know, made you ask the question, you know, who's not here, whose voice am I not hearing? That's, that's remarkable. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I was like, Hey, like, you know, and, and it's, one of those things that like now I look back and there's some things I'm like huh was that the best thing I don't know but I I was committed to trying I was committed to really doing it you know we were showing up uh, because I worked in the arts you know there's a lot of proximity and closeness to the LGBTQ um, community and so I was going out and we were doing pride parades and we were doing booths and we were talking to people and so like that was just in the fabric of how I approached the the work every single day um but now like I get deeper and it's more it's more than the initiatives it's more than just Mm -hmm. those it's more than just marketing but I always tell people all of those things cohesively matter individually they can kind of feel scattered but if they truly are a part of a bigger plan a bigger strategy and a bigger approach, then they're they're quite powerful tools. Yeah, that integration is so important. And I like how you talked about, you know, earlier, I mean, you were were looking through the lens of DEIB before those letters were even out in the zeitgeist. And, you know, now, as as you said already, you know, things things are shifting, you know, more initiatives, more systems work and and things like that. And so you you um, have gotten to see that that moving, you've gotten to see that that shaping of the DEIB space. And, you know, I'm I'm curious when, you know, have you ever had an opportunity if, if someone comes to you and and asks you about, you know, how do I find my lane doing this work. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to enter this space. I want to dip my toe in these waters. And, and, and maybe I have a title, maybe I don't, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not 
you know, a, a black person. Maybe I'm not, you know, part of a community that people would think of, you know, me being someone involved in DEIB. You know, what, how can employees find their lane? What would you say? Yeah, I, I always say like, figure, figure out like, what can you do from the seat that you're in? What impact can you have? So, you know, I think um, it, it's interesting. So part of the reason why I created the DEI Career Center was for this exact reason. I have a lot of people coming to me and they're like, they look at my LinkedIn, they're like, marketer, 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 make right. it make sense. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, you may not be able to connect the, the dots, but I can tell you the journey, like I've told you all here. Um, I own that story and I own it and I tell it and I put it in a resume. But I'm like, I wanna know what have you already done? So if you're coming to me and you're telling me I'm uh, a teacher or I'm an engineer or I'm this, then my first question is gonna be, tell me how have you already made an impact on diversity, equity, and inclusion in your day-to-day job? Mm. And a lot of people go, well, I mean, but I'm, I'm a this. And I'm like, well, yes, but if you're an engineer and you're responsible for hiring, uh-huh. are you just going about it the way that someone told you to do it? Or are you being intentional with your efforts to make your group more diverse? Are you thinking about the diverse slates? Are you thinking about like, what did you do in that job? Or were you on the side where you could think about like, how do I make my, the product more accessible for another community? I don't, you don't have to be black. You don't have to be uh, dis, you know, have a disability to think right. about right. who's using this product. And as an engineer, uh-huh. am I making it accessible uh-huh. for everybody? That yeah. can be where you use your voice and tell me that's how you do it. So when I talk about doing the work of DEI, I believe it's the lens through which you can do every single job. Uh-huh. And then if you do want to make that shift into having the title of diversity, equity, and inclusion, then yeah. how do you own that story? And how do you tell, here are things that I have done. Here's what I'm committed to. Or how do you say, here's the set of skills, right? I said, like, I knew I didn't have every single skill. I knew right. my lane that yeah. I could enter into. What are the skills that I have? How do I get into this? And so I've, um, I just recently launched a brand new um, six-month program. And I have my first cohort going through it. And I had a, a one-on-one call with one of the students and, and she was like, okay, I know we're just getting started, but like, I already get it now. I get what you're trying to say mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's not one job that is diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in right. an entire world that you have to figure out where your lane is. And I, that's what I do as a DE, as the DEI career coach mm-hmm. is help people kind of guide themselves through a journey that says, where do I belong? Or is this even right for me? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it, I, I love that you use that word journey. I think so often people want a quick fix. They want an easy solution. They don't want to do the hard work. And we are a fast food culture. We want everything and we want it well-wrapped. We want it to look pretty and we want it, 
yesterday. And that's not the way that DEIB works. And I, and I like your approach with talking with your colleagues and your coaches and those who you mentor with saying, you know, how, how do you integrate it into everything? How do you operationalize it? It's not, you know, okay, we're, we're going to have this class on leadership development. Now let's stop, take a break. When we come back from the break, now we're <laughs> going to talk about DEI. You know, I mean, I yes. love it. I love yes. it. You're laughing. You're probably laughing. Yes. I feel like so many people want that approach and then they get frustrated when you say, well, that's, I have bad news for you. That's not how it works. I mean, you know, have you had conversations like that where people have come to you and, and wanted one thing and you've had to kind of manage their expectations in that way? Absolutely. Um, even on the consulting side of, of what I do, I, you know, I think I have, you know, people who have come to me and they say, we want this, we definitely want this training. And I'm like, why? What, why do you want that training? Help me understand. Yeah. And I'm the type of consultant and facilitator who wants to know where you are in your journey, uh -huh. because it doesn't make sense for me to provide content or information that doesn't align to where you all are. And so I talk a lot about kind of the, the maturation of organizations and how they progress. If you are still real early in your journey, but you, you're asking me to kind of give you these level five solutions, you're not ready for that. That doesn't yeah. make sense. It, the, the math's not mathing. So how do, how do we do that? So I do go um, and, and talk to a lot of people about like, is it, is it allyship training you want? Or do you want to talk about how people can be more inclusive leaders? And the language that people have is just kind of whatever's in the mainstream. Yeah. How do I be an ally? Uh -huh. Yes, that is the language that you have, but right. let me help you understand how it's deeper than yes. that. And so I ask my clients to give a lot of trust in me um, to, to kind of guide them along that, that path, both on the coaching and consulting side. Mm. Yeah. That trust, there's that word again, that trust. Yeah. And language is, is so important. I love that really since the beginning, according to you know some of the things that we've been talking about, you ask those questions, you ask those tough questions and, and to you know push people a little bit and to challenge them to think bigger, to think more broadly, to think deeper and to really understand the language that they're using and the outcome that they're seeking. Right. Like, like you, you say this, is that really what you want? And then, you know, through conversation, you talk with them more and discover, well, maybe you don't actually want this. Maybe you want this. And mm -hmm. when, when we think about this DEIB space, and when we think about those of us who are actively swimming in the space every day, those of us who are really wanting to move the needle and, and, and do the work, you know, I'm sure that you um, interact with people who, uh, either are on the way to burnout or are already burnt out, you know, how do, how do you coach people and consult with organizations to help people champion the DEIB work without becoming burned out? What do you tell them? Yeah. I, I often give the uh, analogy, I, you know, of like being on a plane and what do they tell you? They tell you to put your mask on first. That's right. You can't help anybody else until you help yourself and helping yourself may look like pumping the brakes 
Yeah. There's a thin line, I always say, between tokenism and representation. It's a real thin line. Say that again. Yes. And you, you have to have the autonomy and the presence and the wherewithal to be able to say, today I'm willing. Today I'm willing. I will be the first. I will be the only. I know that as I climb, I'm going to bring others with me. Uh-huh. And you also can have the ability to say, guess what? Today I'm tired. It is enough. I, I am enough and they don't pay me extra <laughs> to do the extra education and do the mental labor of this work. And that's okay too. Yeah. And so I, I love it. And you can probably actually see these on my, my shelf, but um, shout out to Brittany Janae, who um, has the liberated love notes. I yes. absolutely She's adore great. her love notes. I use yeah. them. They are amazing affirmations uh-huh. for me. And there's, there's the one in there that says like, some days I'm willing to do more and I'm willing to put it all in. And some days they're going to get what they get. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that resonates with me. And I think that's just it, right? You have to protect your peace. You have to protect your power. You have to be able to show up and do what you're paid to do every day. And so um, navigating that's not always easy, but you hope that your organization has created the psychological safety enough for you to be able to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in having this conversation. I'm interested in being the representative, you know, kind of representative. And also to some days say, no, thank you. Uh-huh. Not, not today. It's not, it's not it because we need time and space to process things right. and to, to deal. And so you, you know, you have to be able to make that choice and feel confident enough in saying, I don't always have to be the representative, you know, the representative representative uh-huh. of everybody who looks like me. Every, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. And so I always say, take care of yourself. And on the side of people who do do this work, I really say, have a healthy practice of self-care. And for me, that starts with a therapist, um, having someone else besides like just dumping things on my husband. Like I need a space where I can process my feelings because a lot of things happen to you also when you are in this work. There's a lot of harm and and things that are said that you have to be able to like go, ooh, okay. Yeah. What do I do with that? So Mm -hmm. in the same way, I have to put my mask on first before I can kind of go and help other Mm -hmm. folks as well. Yeah. I, you know, you talking about self-care and you talking about boundaries, it is so important, you know, period, I think as a, as a human, but especially in this space. And as you were talking, it made me think of this whole quiet quitting that's, that's going on and, and, and trending. I personally don't love the name quiet quitting. Um, but I'm curious to know what you think about it. You know, what, what, um, how do you talk to people about these things? Maybe if someone has, has come to you and, and is talking about being burned out or, or is talking about, you know, gaining leadership support, if they're in the DEIB space or anything like that, as it relates to sometimes saying no, what do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I really haven't commented on the whole quiet quitting thing. Cause I'm just like, really, is this, are we having to have this conversation? Like right. people out here are just trying to do what they're supposed to do. Like that, like this isn't a whole thing, but, but sure. Um, 
you know, I, we go through these cycles and, and words come and words go. And, and at the end of the day, I, I've seen a lot of people whose commentary basically says like the idea of quiet quitting, while it's, it's weird phrasing is good, you know, around diversity, yeah. equity, and inclusion, because it means that people are saying like, this is my, this is it. This is my line. This is what yeah. I'm, I'm coming to do. And it's not that I'm doing less. It's just that I'm not doing all the extra. I'm not, you're not getting all the extra icing and toppings, avocado, you know, guac costs extra. And so like, you're not getting that. So yeah. um, like somebody in the chat said, how dare you do what you're supposed <laughs> to do, right? Exactly, how dare you? How dare um, you, the yeah. audacity. <laughs> so when I do, you know, I do talk a lot of, to people about less on, you know, once they're already there, but I try to create these conversations and the reason I created my program so that for people who are saying, like, I really want to get into this space, uh-huh. you have the understanding that this is part of it going into it. I'd rather someone say, I'm, I'm acknowledging what I'm walking into, because I think a lot of people come into this work with the, like, the excitement of advocacy and like, I'm going to get it done and I'm about to change the world. And then the reality of the work sets in. And so the burnout is fast because you realize like, maybe I didn't have the authority that I thought I was going to have. I didn't have the support I was going to have. I didn't have the budget that I thought I was going to have. I didn't have all these things, but like, I care about this work. And so I want to create the conversation. So that's why I have my YouTube channel, DEI Career Conversations, Uh where I'm talking to other professionals about the skills they use, how they do this work, but also how do they care for themselves? Because I want people to have more. I I think that this work doesn't get a lot of transparency. And Uh so that's really what I'm trying to do is create the transparency about like, what does it actually look like to do this work? And so that's my way of trying to help people before they get to the point of burnout is realizing like, how, how do you prepare? How do you know what to do before you even get to that point? Uh-huh. And then I did tell people who, you know, don't, do not sacrifice yourself for companies yeah. that don't show you that same love back. Right. Be willing to walk away. Uh-huh. Know what you're fighting for, fight the fight. But at some point, you also have to prioritize yourself. I mean, truer words have never been spoken. I, I love that you said, you know, that you talk with people about these things. You know, don't don't sacrifice yourself. And no is a complete sentence for one thing, Ooh. right? Ooh, right. I'm working on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm working we all on are. We all are. Probably, you know, you and I may have another thing in common: recovering people pleasers, right? I, I know that is something that you know, I, I struggle with, and, and I'm seeing a lot, you know, in, in the news and different articles about that now. Um, when I think about, you know, saying no, honoring yourself, respecting and valuing and loving yourself enough to walk away, it makes me think of your bio, you know, you've had some career pivots, and I'm curious to know, you know, if that came into play with some of those career pivots, and mm. you know, can you tell us about maybe one of the most impactful ones and, and how you manage that, that transition. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I think the most significant shift was leaving the arts going uh. to tech just because it was 
challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, people see your resume and they're like, you've spent more than a decade working at theater, ballets, and symphonies. Yeah. What, what, what value do you bring yeah. to a tech company, right? Because like tech is like, you got to know the lingo. You got you to gotta be in this bro culture. You got to be all these things. Yeah. I had to figure out. So one, like I said, from Nashville, lived in Atlanta for several years, worked um, in theaters there before moving to the Bay Area. Bay Area is not a cheap place to right. live. No, it is not. And so working in nonprofit arts no longer fit with my life vision. So that's mm-hmm. what I talk about with a lot of people. What is your life vision? Mm-hmm. In the transition of moving from Atlanta to, to the Bay Area, I was working for a theater. They could no longer even afford to pay me. I wasn't getting paychecks some weeks because we were, it, it was right in that, you know, kind of coming out of the, the 2008, you know, kind of downfall of the economy and they got hit hard. And they yeah. couldn't recover as quickly. And I, I, I knew I didn't get a paycheck. And I was like this. I, I was like, I, but I have a job. I did the, <laughs> I did the work. And that's when it started. Sitting. So I still decided to go. And I decided like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Bay Area. Um, my husband was working in tech. So we made the move. But I quickly decided, even though I love it and I was passionate about the arts and they feel my spirit. Uh-huh. They weren't feeling this other part of my life right. anymore. Right. I was no longer satisfied with making nonprofit money. And I needed to be honest with myself about that. I wasn't living a life that excited me. Mm-hmm. I felt sad. And so I needed to balance that. And I was like, if I'm going to be in the Bay Area, let's, let's get tech money. Um, and so I had to figure out how do I translate the skills and experiences that I've had in the arts and make it understandable for people Uh who are trying to hire me in tech and so I thought about all the things I had done I had done events I had done marketing I had done I was like these things are transferable but I had to figure out how to talk about those skills I had to kind of understand and research the language the what was matter and like I was going to interviews and being told like no thank you and I was like that's cool I was just taking notes in the interviews of like, what were they actually asking me? Uh. And if I didn't actually have the right answer, then how do I go make sure that I upskill that answer for the next time? So if this is like what you want from me, I will figure out how to tell you that I can do it because I know that I can. I just may not have known how to translate it. And so it took me a little while. It took finding the right opportunities. It took also being willing to do something that was different than maybe what I expected um, mm-hmm. and be flexible. I got fired from my first tech job and there, wow, there's a, too much to unpack in that. Wow. But yeah. <laughs> um, when that happened, I was like, sad, but I knew I had skills. I knew I had something to bring to the table. Opportunity. So I took a contract position. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be three months. It turned into two, three years. Um, okay. And, and, I gained so much in that. So it's like, how do you just see things as, as an opportunity? That's great. Right. So. Yeah. How do you see, I, I was talking with someone yesterday and she was talking about audacity. She was talking mm-hmm. about burnout and how from that burnout, she just became bold and audacious. Yes. And she said, yeah. and I had to tell myself, go get your no. 
If it is something that I want and it's a no, I'm going to go get it. But sometimes someone says no, and it's really a yes. I'm going to go get that no. And out of that burnout came this boldness. And I was like, wow, I was in awe of her. And I'm in awe of you as you have talked about all these pivots that you've made and, you know, uh, the values driven way that you have lived your life. And, you know, the burnout that you've talked about, you've experienced, you know, one of our people in our community asked a question, you know, what, what tools do you recommend for people in our space? when they are experiencing the lack of resources, the lack of budget, the lack of support, when they're experiencing burnout, when they are thinking of just calling it quits, what yeah. do you say? Like, like, what are some tools and things that you have, have used? Yeah, I would say I am, I am a huge advocate of finding your community. Um, I will say Dr. Nico White was one of the early people who was willing to be a part of that community. Cause I was just like, what, what am I doing? What's going on? This is yeah. it's wild out here. And, and I reached out and said like, Hey, I could use your guidance, your advice. I see that you're doing this thing. I have some interest in this. Would you be willing to talk to me? Um, and I've built over the years, a community of, of DEI professionals who, I mean, I, I text, I call, I message, mm. and I'm just like, is this, is it just me? Is, is it just me? But also like taking opportunities for things like this, yeah. um, like being in just spaces, shared spaces with other people to realize it's not just you. There's a lot of us going through it was oftentimes like it, it, it relieved some of that stress um, for me to be like, okay, so then what did you do? What, are, what can we do? What are options? Um, and, and it's hard. And so for me, one of the things that I, I've tried to teach myself, and I said try to teach myself because these are things that I am still going through and learning. I do not have all the answers. I still experience these things. I still you know, go through it. And so I try to be really transparent about that. It's why I still have a real good therapist. Um, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but I will say, document your wins. Mm. when you do something well write it down cheer about it tell it don't hold that to yourself brag about it mm. because then you can go back to that in those moments when you do get the nose in those moments when it feels like does any of this matter like am I making any impact like it's just go back and look at those moments and I used to keep a folder where you know, I would have people, you know, send me a little note, Andrea, I know that you may not have realized that doing the work on the pronouns was a big deal, but it actually helped me realize that I was ready to come out and transition. I'm, I actually identify as a trans woman. And this, you know, is coming from someone who I didn't see that coming at uh -huh, all, uh -huh. but they said, but because I trust you and yeah. you've been at the forefront of this, I mean, document that. Let me save that. Let me go back and stare at it for a minute wow. because wow. I need to remember that one person's life was impacted. Two people's lives was impacted. Three people's lives. And so I keep pushing because if I'm making a difference for one, two, three people, then mm -hmm. I, I hope that my purpose in this world is that I have the ability to make that impact on a whole bunch of people who may not ever get the chance to tell me that as well. Wow. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. It's funny. I woke up this morning 
and I was feeling such gratitude for the NWC team. I was just in a, in a space of gratitude. And I, and I love that you talked about that because I ended up putting a Jane Goodall quote into our team's um, channel. And it says, you cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference. You just have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And that impacted me so powerfully. And you just, you just talked about that, you know, that, that trust word, you brought that up again, that trust, the foundation for relationships. And, you know, that is one of the keys to having impact. And you just, you just never know how your actions are going to impact someone. Um, Yes. And Oh my goodness. I see vodcast community. I am hogging Andrea. I'm hogging her. (laughs) This conversation is amazing. I'm so enraptured with her. Okay. So I am sure that there are questions that you all have, and I would love the opportunity if someone wants to come off mute and be spotlit. So you can join this conversation with me and Andrea, I will go ahead and spotlight you. So feel free to raise your hand or put something in the chat that you want to join in the conversation um, because I don't want to hog her. I don't want, you know, everybody be mad at me because I hogged her. Um, So um, just feel free to to put questions in the chat. Um, Let's see. I think I see some coming in. Oh, maybe not. Oh, I do see my friend Lisa Ong. Hi, Lisa, who said this is such valuable advice in this work to learn to count your own wins to document your wins. And I'm, I'm curious, Andrea, as we're waiting for maybe some questions from our community, what is one of your biggest wins? What's one of your biggest career wins? Oh, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if you know, people who know me know, like I'm, I'm bad at answering questions like that because I'm like, it depends. My answer to everything is like, it depends. Big and what matter, you know? Um, I, sometimes those really small things are really big to me because mm-hmm. I think they're big to other people. Yeah. I have had big moments in my career. I've had um, big things happen. I've been very fortunate. I, I can't pinpoint any one win um, because I feel like I get one and I'm like, all right, I'm back at it. Let's do, let's do more. If I got that one, let's build on it. That's, that's a really hard question because I, I count my tiny wins um, all the time. I'm really trying to think. I, I, I was very proud of being able to win the award when I was in Atlanta um, and several years ago because like I said, it wasn't a time in which diversity was quite at the forefront that it is now. So being recognized as someone in that community, I will tell you one of the, I'll tell you something I am most proud of. I don't know if it's, you know, kind of the biggest win, but um, some of you may be familiar with uh, the women of Brewster Place. It was a, a mini series book, you know, way back. And um Oprah was in it and, um, oh gosh, uh, Jack A. Harry, you know, Leon, all these really amazing, famous Black people. So the theater I was working for in Atlanta decided to create it as a uh, theatrical performance. And I had this idea to invite former cast members 
from the show and people were like like my head of marketing at the time she was like that's really cute okay like she very much dismissed this idea that I had oh honey did that give me life I was like Uh like, she thinks that this is gonna happen and I have some really good partners um at an ad agency who were doing some pro bono work for us and they are like, if this is your thing, like, let's do this. Uh-huh. And we did like this whole thing. I got to meet Jack A. Harry, who I think is like one of the most amazing women in the world. Um, I got to invite Star Jones, who turned out mm. to be one of the most amazing people. I had, um, you know, Leon came and all these people came. And we also, in addition to that, so like that was like the party and the fun side. But what we also did as a part of that show was we created a mural in Sweet Auburn. So if you live in the Georgia area, you ever go into the Sweet Auburn area, there's a a beautiful mural of the women of Brewster Place that was done Mm. by uh, the theater where I worked for. And we did it in a next door to a church and created a park where people could go. So we cleaned the park. We did it as a volunteer day. We had a proclamation from the mayor about how this park could now be used. And so we had an opportunity to revitalize an area while creating amazing and beautiful art. And I have oddly enough been seeing it on drone footage for like some big TV shows now. And so it's just something I'm really, really proud of. Wow. I love that. I love that that's a win. I love that you had a no first or or a uh, (laughs) dismissal, uh, you know, the, the, oh, that's so cute. I mean, oh my goodness. I've experienced that before. and, and I, and I love that you were able to meet such amazing people and, and have them imprint on your life in that way. Yeah, that yeah it, it truly was. And it was like, here's, here's Andrea with these big ideas. And it was very validating. And it was, it, it really gave me the confidence to do a lot of the things mm-hmm. that I do now, because sure. like that, those no's, right. You get those no's mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah. Just watch me work. That's right. And, and it is a difference in, in perspective, right? Because some people will get that no and they will slink away and then they, they will just feel rejected and downtrodden and, and they won't turn that no um, and that burnout into boldness. You know, they, they won't keep going. They will just, you know, feel defeated. And so I, I love that you did not do that. Um, yeah. We do have a question from our community. Andrea, if you want to go ahead and unmute so that you can ask Andrea your question. Hi, thank you so much. What a uh, great talk. I enjoyed everything and so much of much of it has resonated with me. I wanted to ask a follow-up to your question. I know you had addressed some of the tools regarding burnout, but I was wondering if you had like more in terms of self-care for uh, those of us that have been doing this work because, um, you know, uh, beyond building community and beyond the, the brags of our achievements and, and recognizing, you know, the work that we have done that has been meaningful and impactful. Like what, what do you recommend in terms of, you know, just helping us to stay focused and not become overwhelmed or consumed by our work? Yeah. Uh, that was why my first recommendation is good therapist. Like l- literally, I think mental health is so, so important in this work. So if you can have a therapist or if you're working internally and you have a EAP, take advantage of those tools. Like don't let it 
fester with you. Like you sometimes just need to see, say the things out loud. You need to, and that's why I said like community therapy, all of these things, um, but also rest. Rest is so crucial to this work. Doing things that allow you to reset uh, because the work is the work. Like it, it and, and I, I would love to say all of a sudden it's just going to change. But like the work is the work and we are kind of where we are at this point with the work. So you have to just take care of yourself. So do what you need to do um, if you need to rest. I watch TV. Like that is my outlet. I love Korean dramas. I watch a lot of Korean dramas on the weekends. Um, I am getting into like reality TV if I need to. Like that's when I know I'm at a real point. Like once I started turning on reality TV, I'm like, I need, I need to, because here's what also happens. So we're in an interesting line of work in that you don't, you don't turn it off when you finish at the end of the day. A lot of people get the chance to say like, okay, I coded for a few hours. Boom. I did this thing. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do the thing that I do and live my life. Right. We are constantly impacted by current events, the news, what's happening in the world and trying to balance all of those things. So we're inundated with this. And then of course, like if you're just a normal person then you go about the world and people want to talk about race and they want to talk about diversity and inclusion, but you're like, I talk about diversity and inclusion 40 plus hours a week. I want to be able to talk about K-dramas on the weekend, mm. create those boundaries for yeah. yourself. Like that is, that was a huge one for me that sometimes I get into those groups and have, you know, conversations with people and they of course are experiencing these things. And so they want to talk about it. And I say, I need to opt out of the conversation for a little bit because I've been talking about this for hours. I'm going to, y'all let me know when y'all decide to talk about Marvel and right. what's going on with Thor. I'll That's be right. That's I'll right. Be, y'all want to talk about Star Trek? Like, she Hulk. About Star Trek. She Hulk. You know, I, I'm, I'm like one episode in, I'll come back to you. You're one episode. Okay. We're going to have to talk. Cause I just watched the fourth or fifth <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. I'll get back to you. She Hulk. But yes, like those are the things that I, I set those personal boundaries for myself. And sometimes I choose to engage Uh, and I want to, because I find them as opportunities to teach and to learn. Like for me, it's just sometimes I just listen in those conversations. And then I take that into my work, Um, right? Because different people have different thoughts and it's very easy to be in our minds because we know what it should be, but there's people who live this differently. Um, They're like, I don't, I don't want to talk about pronouns. I don't want to talk about this. And I invite them to say, well, tell me more about that. And I can engage and nobody paid me for that. But I can also say, no, we're going to talk about Star Trek or what happened on Married at First Sight for hours. Right. That is going to make me happy. So find your happiness. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I was going to invite you to end on an inspirational note and that was it. So you (laughs) did my job beautifully for me. Thank you so much, Andrea, for blessing our IC Vodcast community with your presence, with your joy, with your vulnerability, with your authenticity. Thank you so, so much. And thank you, IC Vodcast community, for being with us again today. We will see you next week. Have an amazing weekend. Thank you. Bye, everyone.